This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Kat Napsok for an inside look, celebratory look, a fun look, and at times a frustrated look. At the world of ice and fire. Happy to be with you all here. And uh, there's potential for a couple new listeners around these parts due to recent uh, employment changes for me and some friends. Brought some wonderful attention to some of our projects. So, hi. Here's what this is. Casterly Talk is a Game of Thrones, World of Ice and Fire, Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood. It's a, it, it, it's a Game of Thrones podcast. It was named by my buddy, Lon Harris, who is a regular contributor to this show, uh, a co-host of the show when we got season uh, recaps and all those kind of things going on. Looking forward to having him back in. Rachel Cushing, you might know her from the movie trivia Schmodown. She's a regular contributor here, co-host and member of our small council. And then Andres Cabrera, some of you might have known him uh, recently from uh, the final two months of Collider Jedi Council. Heard him on Force Center, the meaning of podcast, and and here, uh, that's kind of the team. Some other people come and go as guests. Your calls make up the show. We always like to do that through the power of Anchor. And if you're relatively new, you might be thinking, "Ken, why are you talking Game of Thrones 2020? Isn't that done? Yeah, yeah, the show is done. But we've been having a blast going back and just looking at it. The show's going to stick with us." People are, I just know right now, our friend Thomas Risling, another contributor to this show, Sir Thomas Sittal, he's just starting his rewatch. I'm getting ready to do it again. The show's going to uh, stay with us, so we are still looking back. Big what-if questions, things going on, all that, uh, a lot to talk about, I feel. And also, let's just, here's the thing, man. You might be saying, Ken, you should be doing a Witcher podcast. Yeah, I'm not watching Witcher. I watched the first episode. All right. Uh, It's not for me. I'm a Game of Thrones fan. I'm a Song of Ice and Fire fan. I don't just immediately go for high fantasy, low fantasy, mid fantasy. I just, it's not my thing. Uh, Star Wars is a little different. I'm, I'm specific to those things. I do like the Lord of the Rings movies, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get a dragon and swords and I'm there automatically. And I did watch the first episode of Witcher. Again, I get it. If, if you like it, not for me, at least not right now. It does have Jody May in it. I don't know how much far past the first episode she's in it. I don't know. Jody May, she was Maggie the Frog in Game of Thrones, but for me, she is the younger Monroe sister in The Last Mohicans all the way back in 92. So I was happy to see that. So, yeah, we're going on with this discussion because one of the things, we're not just looking back. We do have some books to look forward to. George is probably typing away right now. Not listening to this, but typing away. And then also we've got the prequel series. We go, we know we got, we, we thought we had two. 
And I'll admit, when I heard the Jane uh, Goldman one was canceled, I went, ooh, ooh boy, that was going to be key to the future of Casterly Talk. But then House of the Dragon emerged. And we're going to still be talking about what might have been lost in that pilot, if things ever emerged, if what went wrong with that pilot. I heard a couple little things. I've just not plugged into that side of it as much as I am in Star Wars, where I do sometimes have conversations with people who've worked with these movies or around these movies or shows, and I can get a little more scoop, a little more insight, perspective. Game of Thrones, I, I just don't. I just don't. So it's all speculation. It's all rumor and innuendo, as Conrad Thompson would say, on something to wrestle with, with Bruce Pritchard. But we do have House of the Dragon, and this show is going to be your spot to get ready for that. Countdown to House of the Dragon. We're beginning that today, a little bit later in the show. And we'll start getting ready. Maybe going back, definitely going back in Fire and Blood. Rachel Cushing, it just, it's a, that book is a passion of hers. I love that book a lot, too. It was, it was my favorite reading experience of a George R. R. Martin uh, book. And I, it, I love the book series. I don't know what it, it just connected with me on a different, like a different level. I just love history. I love a good documentary. So it read like that to me, and I was glued to it. I was glued to it as if I was reading a David, David McCullough uh, book on history. So I, um, you know, we're going to get ready for that a little bit later in the show. But first, we're going to look at some of the headlines. Game of Thrones headlines? You think there isn't any? Yeah, I know. So I took a little bit of a, a week off here. Week off. Month off. Week? More than a month. Yeah, December 7th, I believe, our last episode. Went into the holiday season, and, and that's just what it is. Uh, so I missed this story. I missed talking about this story, but I want to talk about it here. And all right. It might take me down a grumpy path, and if you've listened to me for a long enough time, so, uh, you know, if you listen to me for a long enough time, you know that I, uh, I, like to, I like to be celebratory, I like to be positive. I think it's really important. Uh, my friend Joseph Scrimshaw on Force Center has said something for a while, but lately it's just been on my mind and heart of something that's very important, I think, for these modern fandoms, and that is to engage with the story presented to you that is from joseph and if he got it from somewhere else he'll tell you but he said it first on four center first that i heard and it means a lot it means a lot to me and it should mean a lot to you what we mean by that is is it doesn't mean you can't look at it with a critical eye it doesn't mean you can't have problems with the shows or the episodes i do from time to time i remember real season four i was like upset a lot of things time moves on i i actually really love that season Andres Cabrera, he's a Peter Baelish fan. He is season seven, not his, not his favorite. Doesn't hit with him as much. That is all fine. And I, I feel as though I have to state that over and over, especially with the story I'm about to get into. Things are going to upset you. Things are going to take you down a path that you didn't want to go. But we over at Force Center, which is our Star Wars podcast, think it's important to engage with the story presented to you because you. You can really connect with what the creators are trying to do and then maybe know if they took a swung, a big swing and miss. A big swung, a swing and miss. They don't always get it right and there's a lot of factors into it. It's not as simple as David and Dan sitting down with some writers writing the show and they go shoot it and that's all the process. There's a lot of things that go and a lot of things that have to be cut. And a lot of things, budget reasons, and, and that's why season eight didn't hit well with a lot of people, I think. 
you saw some of the effects of that. I love the season. If you just joined me for the first time, I know not. I, I know a lot of you aren't, and this is a remix. There's potential for some new listeners here. Season eight, one of my favorite seasons of Game of Thrones. I was blown away by it. Blown away by it. Every week. <laughs> then I go to Twitter after like week two or three, and I was like, enough. I can't. I just can't see what's, I just, it, no one's engaging with the story presented to them. And there, there was something, there was something in conclusions that really just, we're seeing it with Star Wars, we're seeing it in Game of Thrones, there'll be other properties, we're seeing it. When you get to the end of the journey, there's just this natural tendency to go towards disappointment because you built up the possibilities in your head, and that is not your fault, and you should not stop. Keep doing it. I did too with Game of Thrones. But engaging with the story presented to you means just see what's there and see what the creators are trying to do and see the path that they took and just connect with that and see where it goes. I watch these shows and movies and read these books as living history documents. It might be why I love Fire and Blood so much. It was like going back in time and adding to that document. So that when I go, oh, wow, the Emperor's back. Huh. Part of me goes, oh, okay, I don't know if I like how they executed it a little bit. But as a fan who watches Star Wars as a living history document or a time capsule, I guess, from a certain point of view, I go, oh, okay, let's figure this out. This is part of the story. Part of the story now. How, do, how does it connect? What are the themes? I think Game of Thrones had a lot of that in the final season. And going back to something like Witcher, going to something like The Mandalorian, which is kicking ass and is popular and it is really good and I enjoy most of it. I mean, like, love a lot of the key things, love a lot of the storytelling and the themes. Some of the budget constraints kind of got to me. That's neither here nor there. I engage with the story presented to me, and there's a lot there for me to engage with. But I'm going to... I Season two of The Mandalorian, season two of Witcher, whenever it comes out in like 2033, that's going to be something different because now fans of that show, because I've already seen articles, what Witcher gets right that Game of Thrones didn't. Fair enough. I'm sure there's some great things going on in there that you all should love. Celebrate it. What happens when season two rolls around and you went, oh, but that, ooh, that dangling plot point, they didn't answer it the way I wanted to. Because it will happen. Mandalorian. We now go into season two with a lot of expectations for what's going to happen. I'll keep it spoiler free for those in the UK who haven't engaged with that show. I had a chance to. So watch that stuff. Watch it closely. Watch it closely. Because once Game of Thrones went into season two, the downfall was inevitable. The downfall was inevitable. I had it too. Because season two, at first, I was like, I don't know. I, uh, season two is just not as good as season one. This is like coming, this is back in the day, like 2012. Now season two, season two is in the running for my favorite season. I still think season one's amazing. Like, don't get, they hit it out of the park. So if there were some of my great old time season ones of TV shows, Rescue Me, it was, it was season one, just perfection to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, once, once that's out of the way and you start forming connections with characters, you start connecting with them, which leads me to my first story. I know a lot of you have heard me say this stuff before, but again, uh, to anyone joining us now, just some philosophy, my philosophy, not, not the philosophy, my philosophy, Peter Dinklage. I don't, I, I don't get, <clears throat> here's the thing about Dinklage. He sometimes comes across as grumpy and that's not fair. I don't know him. 
I don't know, but if you see him in interviews, he's he's an actor. He he is an artist. He is a performer, storyteller, talented man. And sometimes I just see like he's just. I'm sure he's great at parties. I'm sure if you're close friends with him, you're on board. But sometimes I'm just like, I like him because like me, he's a little grumpy. He's just to the point. He's kind of he's having fun doing this great character, and he gets it. But it's just, I sometimes you look at him, and you're just like. It's like Adam Driver. You just look at the whole thing going around your world as a, you're in Star Wars or you're in Game of Thrones, and you're just like, wow, whew, this is crazy. I'm here to perform. I'm here to, to be a, an actor who who digs into uh, the the character and the choices and story. Talk about engaging with the story presented to you. And then the rest of it's just chuff to them. Not that all the other actors are caught up with it. Just I think they deal with it all differently. You get a sense that Amelia Clark just has a lot of fun in life. You know, Lena Headey has a lot of fun in life. They all deal with it differently. What happens to you? Sophie Turner becomes one of the biggest stars in the world. She's married to Jonas Brother. It's a different kind of pressure than Conleth Hill, who, when I saw, when I was at a, I just happened to be at a, at a hotel that the, the cast of Game of Thrones was staying at, at Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, I think it was 2016. And it was Sophie Turner, Maisie Williams, Alfie Allen, Liam Cunningham, uh, a couple other performers, and uh, uh, Conleth Hill. And I came back to my room midday, like second or third day of Comic-Con, and it was bedlam outside. People, fans screaming. I'm like, oh, oh, so they found out. They found out. And I, uh, you know, they, I'm a guest through my, hey, here's my key card and get in. And I walk, I mean, you're talking outside this hotel, 200 people. Like, it was crazy. And they were trying to get them all lines and just trying to, like, shoo them away as best they could. In the hotel lobby, all by himself, just staring out the big giant windows, Conleth Hill. Barris. He's just, he's just got to not even, not, I won't say like amused, like he, he's just staring out, almost like he's like going, what is, what is this? <laughs> what is this? What am I part of? What are we doing here? And we made slight eye contact. I, to this day, I mean, I didn't go up and talk to him and I didn't talk to Liam Cunningham and I was standing outside the hotel and he was lighting a cigarette. We made eye contact and I just, I'm not that type who just wants to, uh, you know, Gilly was in the uh, uh, what's her name? The actress Hannah was she? She was in the uh, in the elevator with me and and Harloff and uh, Christian Harloff and we, we didn't talk. We didn't we didn't engage her because you just you let them live, you know. But you know you want to. I've met a few of them at parties and everything, but that's different. Parties different. But I, I in that moment with two hundred people outside, I want to look at Connell Hill and just be like, "Hey, man, I I appreciate you. I'd be waiting for your autograph," uh, but I didn't. But point is, Dinklage is in that category to me. So take. This is quite a preamble. I'm rambling. Quite a preamble to this idea here. Because uh, <laughs> he says this. He says this. I'm reading from Cinema Blend. And this, though, is a recap of his article in The New Yorker. A lot of times I'll link to the source so you get the full context of the interview. You all should do that, too. But just... Uh, for saving a little time because I'm rambling, I, I'm just reading kind of their quotes. But he was discussing the fan response 
to season eight. And a lot of the Game of Thrones actors have, you know, they've they've tried to be diplomatic. I think Amelia Clark has. They get it. They hear it. They hear it. Uh, Nikolai Calder, uh, Walder, I could never get his name right. Jamie. Let's just all rename him Jamie. Uh, he's been pretty vocal at panels, even even to uh, dismay of some fans. I'm just like, we did great stuff in season eight. Shut up. I think Millie Clark's been very, very diplomatic. And you can read into those comments if you want. You could you could do they do it in Star Wars too. A soundbite on a red carpet. Oh, 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 freeze frame. They hated the show. You can use anything to fulfill your uh, wishes or your agenda as a fan, either way. Either way. And so here's mine. <laughs> Dinklage talking about the uproar and the fan response says these two quotes I'm going to focus on here. No. Well, everybody's always going to have an opinion, and that means an ownership. It's like breaking up with somebody. They get upset. I can't speak for everybody, but my feeling is they didn't want it to end, so a lot of people got angry. I feel like what Dave and Dan did was extraordinary. This happens. Monsters are created. Now, now he's specifically talking about Daenerys Targaryen. It's not just season eight. People upset with Daenerys Targaryen's uh, turn or, or path. And how it got there, which I understand there are some. To me, I think I get some of the legit concerns. Like, right, hey, we're not upset with the ending. It's how they got there. All right, that's fair. Uh, Dinklage says this. This happens. Monsters are created, and you don't see it coming. We vote them into office. You look the other way. So for everybody to get upset because they loved a character so much, and they had so much faith in that person, there were signposts along the way for that character. If Andres Cabrera was here, he'd be nodding emphatically and screaming yes. He was anti-Danny from like season four on. Dinklage goes on to say this in response to another question here. Yeah, but that's because of what was happening all along. It added up to something. There are people who've named their children Khaleesi. You've just got to maybe wait to the series finale before you get that tattoo or name your golden retriever Daenerys. I can't help you. I'm sorry. She went mad. She was driven to that. And she's a victim as well in terms of how she was treated. She went through it. She came out angry, as a lot of us do. When I first saw this during the uh, break here of Casually Talk during the holidays, I, I like applauded to myself in my room. So this is me talking now. This is me talking. And I'm going to try to do it as carefully as I can. I can do. I have had a growing problem with what's going on in some fandoms, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, and the like. When there is an uproar of what happens to characters, and characters you connect with. And sometimes the characters do things, or things happen to them that you're not going to like, and you don't have to like it. In fact, I don't want you to like it all. But going back to the topic here of engaging with the story presented to you, you've got to find out why to find out the lessons and i've had some people talk to me uh well you know and i've seen the articles i've seen the stupid articles out there foreshadowing is in character development shut up shut up david and dan had this in mind because i guarantee a lot of this has to have come from george this is what george is building to and if he could switch it up because you know that's George. It just makes sense. There's so much there. 
There's a lot of in her nature. There's a lot of what Dinklage says. She's a victim of well uh, as well. And here's the thing. And it, it, my anger, my it's not directed to any fan and specifically out there. I said this a lot with Brian. I think a lot of it applies to Ray or Kylo if you're going to Star Wars. But that's a different show. Podcast, you know? Go check on Force Center. Brian of Tarth. Me with Jorah. Baelish. Other characters. Ace has a problem with the story with uh, Baelish because he, he feels he does things out of character. I understand that. I think, I think a lot of season seven and eight, they got there fast. They did. So it might jump to some of that. But let's talk about these characters, specifically Daenerys. I'm railing this point. I'm banging the gavel on this. This is part of the lesson of the character. This is part of the story. And nothing about Danny early on that inspired you goes away. If anything, it's a more powerful lesson of where you can end up. If you don't make better choices of where you can end up with the, if the people around you and the people you let around you don't take care of you good or don't listen to you or go against you or hurt you or toxic or all those kind of things where it ends up sometimes is a big giant warning to you. Do you see yourself in Daenerys Targaryen in season one? This is a possible outcome. If you're not aware of it, and like Dink, Dinklage says, she is a victim. She is a victim. Everyone around her towards the end, I'm talking back to like season six. They got their, they got their claws in her. Some care about her. Some I think are right. I think Barristan Selmy's got the best intentions. Jor does too, but it's, conv- it's, it's convoluted. It's mixed up. She was harsh to Jorah, but I think with good reason. Barristan's loss was key. It also influenced Grey Worm. When Grey Worm's heart went cold, for good reason, by the way. It all makes sense. Miss Sande going away. Brutally. It's such a it's a it's it's it's, it's a great moment to me, and I get the the impl- I get why people are upset with it for real world reasons. That doesn't go away. You have very few people of color on the show, and you kill one off. And if you didn't, if yours a viewer didn't feel it was necessarily didn't feel it was earned, I understand. Your your opinion on that is not only acknowledged; it's welcome at this table. There's some real world things. So I wish there were some other things different in the show that that helped make that work better for everyone. But I love that moment because it is Tyrion. Pleading one final Cersei be a human and Cersei doubling down on it. And in doing that, it destroys Cersei. It, it leads to her end. There's a lot of things that take Cersei down the dark path because Cersei talking about being a victim as well as someone who tries to fight against what's gone on with her. Cersei is a tragic lesson as well. And it's not just a lesson for someone who connects with Cersei. It's not just a lesson for people who connect with Daenerys. It's a lesson for those around those type of people. It's a lesson for me. I see myself in Ser Jorah. I see myself a lot in Ser Jorah. Danny's fall should affect me 
how as someone who is Sir Jorah in his heart and mind, if I have someone born of fire and blood in my life, how am I treating them? What are my actions doing? What are my intentions? What's my agenda? Am I doing everything that's best for them? There's lessons there to me beyond just what happens on the screen. And when you engage with what happens on the screen and go deeper, I think you could find that there's some powerful and painful lessons. Cersei Lannister is a victim and she fought against it. And there's inspiration in what she's done. It's brutal. But when she takes that sip of wine after destroying the Sept of Baylor and all her enemies, there's a reason all of us, all of us on some level went, uh-huh, you sipped that wine because you earned it. That's not necessarily fair to Marjorie Tyrell or anything. And a lot of problems some innocent in there, too. Believe me, the, the, the citizen that gets squished by the bell, I don't know if they did anything to Cersei. But there's a reason we all connected that moment, even though she's, quote, uh, a, a bad guy, a bad gal, you know? That's what Game of Thrones does so well. We know that. That's been documented. So when I heard Dinklage or read what Dinklage says, I'm like, yes, this is it. This is part of the story. You always, you always hear me talk about Stannis. Uh, you know, I love, I saw myself in Stannis. And look what, look, his path destroyed him. And that's part of the point. Brianna Tarth had some horrible things happen to her. That's part of the point. And if you are hurt, if you are hurt by this, if you're upset with it, that's okay. I'd like to think it's okay to be a little upset at these stories because of how it makes you feel because it does connect to the real world. The key thing and what Dinklage is saying to me is this victim thing. She went mad. You can say, well, the Mad King, she's connected to Targaryen. That's all story. That's all part of the lore. And that was part of the signpost that was coming. You see, uh, you know, we celebrate, we celebrated Danny for, for looking to, uh, at the 13 outside of Kuwait, I will burn cities to the ground. <sighs> Yay! And then she does it. <laughs> she actually does it. But when Dinklage says she was driven to that, that's why to me it's not all Danny's fault. It's a lot of the fault of the people around her and the society around her. And this is on a billboard for all of us to see as fans. How are we treating Specifically, the women in your life. How are we treating those who are putting unfortunate, fortunate circumstances in your life, or those in which power is heaped upon? One of the great things the Last Jedi does to Star Wars is it says, "Here's your hero, Luke Skywalker, and here's what a hero and being treated as a hero did to him. It broke him at times, and what a lesson, what a case study, and what that means. You put people on pedestals." You put all this pressure on them. They most likely, without a good support system and a good center inside themselves, will crack. And Daenerys and Targaryen did that. So Dinklage was, I thought, harsh. But I am leaning into it as the truth, at least to me. Again. Yeah, but they should have, uh, there should have been a couple more scenes. And this and that. That is, I understand it. I understand it. Do I wish season eight had two more episodes in it? Yes. Do I do I wish season eight had ten minutes in each more episode? Yes. Not just because I wanted more Game of Thrones, just to give me just give me a little bit more. You know what I mean? That's fine. I love I love uh, Rogue One over in Star Wars. 
I wish the second act was just not a little long or just made some different choices. But I love that movie and all of those characters. And that's out of a lot of people's hands. I really think the lessons in season eight, which wrap up everything and what it teaches you about each character and their arcs and where they get to and what it, how it, how it affects you, inspires you, challenges you. And I think it's more important for some of these stories to challenge you than for the creators, the writers and directors and producers to make you feel comfortable with the journey in front of you. Game of Thrones at times made some mistakes, at times handled some things poorly. It changed. It changed over time. I think at least in terms of little less boobs and dragons towards the end. More dragons, less boobs. It was there. It was there. But if you go back 2011, when they're preparing the show, 2009, 2010, different time. And we've all, I hope, grown up at viewers. A little sex position ain't a bad thing every now and then in a person's life, but it shouldn't be everything. And I don't think it was everything back in the early days of the show. It just became what it was known for. It's not unusual for HBO shows to go that way. And I think we require a little bit more from entertainment. I think the show growed, growed up a little bit as time went on. But I don't think at any point any of these content creators, and I hate that term because that usually just means people doing live Q&As on YouTube channels, which is great because I do it too. But the writers and directors and producers, I uh, not one of them should set out to make you feel comfortable with their, the journey of the characters they're creating. And I think Peter Dinklage nailed it on the head. Other news, have you seen this? Ooh. Game of Thrones studio tour. Booking is now open. I'm reading an article from Fansided from Dan Selecki. Selkie. And uh, I'm trying to find the uh, the Irish News, as it should, ran the original article. You know, you go to New Zealand if you want. If you're lucky enough, fortunate enough, head out to New Zealand. You can go to Hobbiton and see a lot of the uh, Weta Workshop stuff and do a Lord of the Rings tour. Well, we got this with Game of Thrones. You might as well. Props, sets, costumes, and more from the show, all of them housed in a Linen Mill Studios in Corbett, Bainbridge, Northern Ireland. We'll be part of this studio tour for HBO's mega hit show, reports the Irish News. Plan is to open the tour of the public in the fourth quarter of this year, 2020. A large park and ride facility that can accommodate up to 350 is being built nearby the tour uh, nearby the tour buildings. Linda Mill Studios and HBO, so HBO is working in it, are projecting about 600,000 visitors per year. About three fourths of them coming in from outside Northern Ireland. Game of Thrones pumped a lot of money in the local economy, reads the article while I was filming, and hopefully it can keep doing that when it's off the air. And it should. This show is that type of show, right? It's not just super popular, but it's this world you want to feel like you're lived living in, right? Galaxy's Edge is a great example right now. The venture is expected to employ 194 people or so. 
Game of Thrones studio will be open 12 hours per day, seven days a week. There'll be a restaurant designed to replicate the studio catering experience. Well, that's interesting. That's just like a restaurant. So if you've never been on set, the studio catering services, uh, that could be... That could be... Uh, that could be good or bad, quite frankly. Be good or bad. Uh, I've, I've had great catering, and then I've had... Here's your crackers. I'm guessing they're going to go good. Guessing they're going to go good. That's interesting. Quite enjoy that. I'll try to get my uh, Game of Thrones loving ass out there, too. Check it out. Book it now. If you're already out there living in Northern Ireland, maybe you can get a job there and sneak me in the back door. I'm kidding. Not kidding. Do it. Final thing here before we take a break. And on the other side, we got an interesting call from our good friend Alden Diaz. This is the start of Countdown to House of the Dragon. I almost feel like I should play some music. Countdown to the House of the Dragon. All right, thank you. All right, not a lot. Like I said, not a lot. I am reading from an article published just for on January 4th, a few days ago. What day is this? I don't even know what day is. New Year's is like tomorrow, right? No, January's almost over. Okay, I got it. So what we know of House of the Dragon, it's based on George R. R. Martin's book, Fire and Blood. This we know. And now we can say, with no certainty, <laughs> we can say a couple of things from this article I'm reading. I guess I'm reading from Screen Rant, which I really hate. Don't do that. I mean, if you work at Screen Rant, God bless you. They just post some weird things sometimes. But that's all I got right now. Uh, we have got... This information most likely is going to premiere in 2021. That makes sense. The production, uh, I don't believe, has really begun. The actual production, production, pre-production going on. We know this. Straight to series. Straight to series, which uh, means, uh, if you don't know, I think all of every you do, everyone you do, uh, the other one was a pilot. You can get a lot of things. You can get something optioned, which means, hey, we might make this. You can get something, de- a development deal, which is like, hey, let's let's see, let's try to start making this and see what we what we think. Or we can get, uh, you know, a pilot, which is what they did, and they shot it, and then everyone gathers around and says, eh, or yay, or do it again, which is very rare. Very rare. Game of Thrones, we know, famously one of the only times a, a, a big, big pilot was uh, allowed to be uh, redone. Saved, uh, I guess a lot of people are thankful that could happen. So 2021 makes sense. This is straight to series, which means they're going to get it all out. We have at least one year. No details on things we've been asking around these parts. Is it an anthology series? Are we going to be doing Fire and Blood all through the years? Because the book covers a lot of history. It does start 300 years or so before the time period we're we're familiar with, if you're just uh, you know into the show or read the books uh, and the main books, The Song of Ice and Fire. The Fire and Blood Volume 1, we're waiting for Volume 2, covers roughly 150 years. They split the difference on those 300 years, eh, roughly, give or take a generation. This report says it will reportedly explore the Dance of Dragons Civil War. So I have not been doing a big deep dive on Game of Thrones news. I'm not necessarily taking this as fact. The word reportedly is used. But that's the first clue I have seen. Some of you out there listening might have seen some other uh, clues. Let me know. Send them my way of what the show will actually be about. Because if you go 300 years to the start of this book, 
It's pretty much Aegon's conquest, which is something we all know, something pretty well documented. And we were wondering, will they do that? Will they do that? There's a lot of other things, but Dance of Dragons makes a lot of sense. It's something that you can focus on. You can build episodes and and, and series, uh, you know, seasons around, and and, and just have uh, have that build out from there. It makes sense. Aegon's Conquest is interesting. It's great. There's a lot of things I want in that, but I, it has been very well documented. You can already get enough sense of it. Dance of Dragons just makes sense. So that is our first update in the countdown to House of the Dragon. We're going to start really looking into those kind of things over the uh, over the year here as we get ready to see this show. If, if, if 2021 is the time frame, I wonder if they just might hold out to spring. If spring's like kind of that official Game of Thrones time, even though they did change towards the end, which might have thrown people off, you know? Uh, what was it? Season 7? We were at Comic-Con and already like Two episodes had played, and they had they had prepared for that. All their marketing already took into account the first two episodes of season seven. But a lot of time, Comic Con was always the San Diego Comic Con was always like the wrap up. The show had already been there, and then you come out and you have a panel about the last season, and you get you know maybe a little bit of casting news for for the next season. So it was always a little weird. Season eight, as we know, got moved, all that kind of stuff. So springtime still kind of feels Game of Thronesy to me. And I think that might be it. So we'll start getting ready for House of the Dragon here in Casterly Talk. Looking, uh, focusing on the Dance of Dragons maybe and seeing what we can uh, learn from going back and studying the histories and seeing what the show might actually be about. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we've got your calls. At least one good one. I mean, there's always good ones. Oh, I said that wrong. Always good ones. I think we have time to play one today. It's a great one from our friend Alden Diaz. Stick around. This is Casually Talk. I'm Ken Napsack. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here, Casterly Talk, episode 46. We're still going strong. Glad you're here. This show used to be called Daily Thrones when I was part of the anchor kind of influencer team. I don't know. I didn't influence a lot of people. <laughs> They'd hired me uh, to uh, create the show Daily Thrones, and it was a lot of fun. We did daily 10 minutes of content on Game of Thrones. And I'll tell you what, what kept me doing it long after I'd kind of like, oh, this is exhausting, right? It was your calls and comments and questions. Anchor has a built-in system where I could just easily take your little 59-second messages and insert them into the show. And it was great. A lot of fun. And it just opened up a sense of community around the show. And just, it's not just me talking. This is why I have Lon, Rachel, and Andres around when I can. Uh, work schedules make that difficult at times during off-seasons of shows, but... You're, you're, you guys out there, your voice, 
really started to feel the show. So Cassidy Talk, when I brought it back and uh, kind of a new take on it, I wanted that to be part of the show. And Anchor makes that possible. It's not just a little ad. I'm not doing an ad read. I'm just saying it. That's why pretty much uh, I think every podcast I have is switched to that. And we don't even use, like, Force Center. Knapsack Files doesn't use it as much, but it, it's there. The Cashly Talk is important, so you can listen to this podcast wherever it is. You don't have to be on Anchor. Listen to your favorite spot. But if you want to contact me, leave a message, a question, comment, a what if, a response to something else. We have ongoing dialogues. We come back to things. You can do that. Just go to the Anchor app. It's real easy. You can do it straight from your phone. All right? So that said... One of our regular callers right here has a real good thought-provoking one here. Here we go. Hey, Ken and the Casterly Talk small council, whoever may be on a future episode. I have a question that actually pertains to production and directorial choices and editing choices, although it could also turn into a story what if depending on the direction that you choose to go. So I was listening to Force Center podcast because, as you know, I'm a big Star Wars guy, and I was revisiting uh, the episodes with Billy Business about the Star Wars special editions, about you know the top five choices they made or choices you wish that they would make or hypotheticals. Then I was wondering if there were Game of Thrones season special editions, what kind of changes would you edit in? Would you add in scenes like Grandmaster Pycelle and Tywin Lannister talking? Would you add in something like you know, the 50 dire wolves or things that they wanted to include in battles, but maybe couldn't for whatever reason. So I think it could be an interesting conversation in a world where cats is getting updated in theaters. Avengers Endgame had a longer cut. So let me know what you think. Great question. Alden. Yeah, that's right. You, you out there listening, you didn't think cats would be mentioned today on a game of Thrones podcast, but it is. So game of Thrones special editions. This is a great thought. It's a great thought. And I actually looked some stuff up and my mind went to two different ways. Alden's kind of, and I, I think I'm getting this right, Alden. You're not necessarily saying, like, dream stuff up. Like, we're not saying special edition brings in Lady Stoneheart. So I kind of threw some of those big wishes out for me. Like, the dire wolves in the, in the Battle of Winterfell, that'd be cool. And impossible, you know. It was Sapochniks. It was in his mind. I don't think they got far down that path. But so I'm doing a couple of those type of, like, in a perfect world, if they could just, if, they, if this existed, even if it didn't, put this in. And I actually got some deleted scenes. I actually looked some, uh, looked some up, just kind of researched what I think is out. Because he's talking about the uh, now famous deleted scene of, of Tywin Ty- Lannister fishing, Grandmaster Pi- uh, Grandmaster Pycelle uh, being caught by Tywin. Or just Tywin's like, stand up straight. I know you're faking. It's a great scene. I don't know if it need in the show, but I like it in the show. And this special edition version, yes, let's do that. So here's some thoughts on that. I'd like to see the Battle of uh, the Whispering Wood. This is season one. This is how Jamie Lannister gets caught. They didn't do it. They didn't make it because of budgets. The budget wasn't there yet. It was growing. Season one and two, not as much money. Oh, they had some money, but not as much money. You know, you wanted a uh, a, uh, a castle, you're just up against the wall. We'll, we'll, we'll make a castle in your mind. Money came in later, as we know, and I think they did a really good job with the money that came in because it's very easy to just take a lot of that money and throw it needlessly at the wall. I love it. So I do want to see that. Go back in time. Give me that. It, 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 you don't need to see it. It's great. It's in the book. There's some awesome things going on, but you don't need to see it. But I'd like to see it. Give me a big season one battle. And maybe actually the moment, if you want to cut to, you know, because there's kind of two, there's the real battle and the fake battle. Cut to the moment Jamie's actually caught, captured in the field. Be kind of cool. 
the look on his face, you know, when he realizes, oopsie, because it's great the way you see it, but actually in the moment. Another one, this one I do not believe exists. Nothing exists uh, about this. Uh, would, this is pretty much show only. Uh, when Tyrion is uh, shipped away with Varys after the murder of his father and uh, wakes up season five, right? Yeah. Um, with a, At Illyrio Mopatis' house. I'd like to see Illyria. I was looking forward to that. When I realized that's where we are at, I was like, here we go. Because I just love the brief time we get to spend with Lirio Mopathis in season one. And I think he's, he's an interesting character to me because like a lot of Game of Thrones characters, he's not necessarily good or bad, but when you meet him, you don't trust him. And I don't think you should, but especially back then it's like, you're, you're, if you're just diving into the story then, and you're not super familiar with the books or everything that came before it. And this was me in season one. I was books after season one. I was fresh I'm like, I like this guy. I like the performer. I like the actor. I like the I like the beard. I like the hair choice there. But I was just like, I, I don't know what to think about him. You know, I'm like what's what's going on with him? Wasn't sure. And so your instinct is to not try. I mean, you, you know, essentially arranging this marriage of Daenerys to Khal Drogo, and and he seems to be working with Viserys. And I, we we're not supposed to like Viserys, and we don't ever. Uh, we don't ever like Viserys. I have not met a Viserys fan other than just a fan of the performance and whatnot. Uh, so, but I liked it. I just something always intriguing. And then when you see him with Varys, and by this time, you know, when Arya, uh, Arya Stark hears them down there in the, in the dungeons, you're kind of like, I don't know if you quite know what to feel about Varys. You know, I think he's more, you know, you season one, because it's like, it's like everyone against Ned Stark in your mind. It's everyone against the Starks in your mind from the beginning. And that changes. It slowly starts to change by the end of season one. But go back to the first couple episodes. It's like, boo, hiss, Lannisters. Yay, Ned and Robert. Or again, Robert becomes a complicated character. But early on, you're like, he's the king. And our friend, we like uh, Ned and he's friends with the king. And there's things there. Boo Varys, boo Littlefinger. Then you start, well, but I kind of like, uh, I kind of like Varys. I kind of like Littlefinger. I kind of like what's going on. And I, I, for me, Illyria being a small character, I just grew to really like him. We start kind of figuring out what maybe they're trying to do. The Targaryen restoration. So I was intrigued when, it, when you realize season five begins, uh, we got Tyrion there. I'm like, oh, a good scene with Tyrion and Illyria, Mopontas and Varys there. That'd be good. Didn't happen. So I'm putting that in. All right, number three. These are things that actually exist. Season two. I think it's the final episode. There's a deleted scene that was uh, shot. It's shot. I'm, uh, you can go to, if you want, go to digitalspy.com. You can just search up. They have a good sh- uh, article. Uh, it might have been a year or so ago, but I think before season eight. That's about uh, great deleted scenes. That's what I was kind of looking to kind of... Uh, kind of dig in on this list there is a i can play it here screw it let's play it maybe we'll get in trouble maybe we won't uh we're gonna play this it's still it's at the iron throne it's after the battle of blackwater bay let's talk about uh Tyrion's is there anything special that you'd like me to face do? here we go a little dance perhaps getting rather brazen aren't we congratulations are in order on your new title Thank you. And your new home, Harrenhal. You're welcome to come visit. 
Plenty of room. You're very kind, but I must admit the curse does frighten me. Did you know every house that's had the misfortune of holding Harren Hall has died out? But you're not the sort of man who believes in vengeful spirits. I would love to talk away the afternoon, but I'm afraid that I have a meeting with the Hand of the King. That's the actual Hand of the King. Tywin Lannister, not the mutilated dwarf you've cultivated as an ally. I'd hardly call him an ally. Ned Stark, the imp. <laughs> you do know how to pick them. Uh, it does make a certain amount of sense. It kind of goes in there. Baelish uh, and uh, Varys share some insults and talk about friends and loyalty. I love this scene. I love what's going on here uh, because, quite frankly, Varys is talking about the curse of Harrenhal. And, hey, everyone gets wiped out. Every line gets wiped out. That place is cursed, and you've got it. And you know, Littlefinger doesn't ever, he never really moves in there. He shows up there, uh, you know, or actually early on. That's right, early on he'd been there. So he'd already been there season two. But now, hey, they for your part, they get, you know, Baelish, you get, you get Harrenhal. It's a great title. It's a great land. You don't even need to be there. But the curse exists, and Varys believes in it. And it ends up being kind of true. And I think that's some fun, delicious foreshadowing all the way back in season two. And then they talk about friends. Baelish is kind of like, it was, I always bet on my friends. You don't really have friends. And even Varys is kind of like, hey, Tyrion's not, you know, Tyrion and I, you know, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we just work together. And just to see where that goes. I love that one there. So I'd like to, I'd like that because I just want them together. Uh, there's some deleted scenes about Cersei's miscarriage. I would have liked some clarity there. I, I, I deleted scenes often are cut for a reason. I always say that, but a lot of them. Just a little bit more information. Again, this goes back to, I do understand the, the critique of season seven and season eight moving faster than the previous seasons. I'm generally okay with it. I'm generally fine with it. I always joke, I don't need to see Davos and Jon Snow on a ship for three weeks. Just get them to Dragonstone. I'm okay with all that. But every once in a while, a little bit more. So a little bit more clarification on Cersei's pregnancy, miscarriage, would have been fine for me. I know she uses it. Season eight to play people against each other. I think that's fine. You can still do that if this is kind of a private moment. Uh, so is that uh, there's some stuff with Shane Braun that's out there too. But this moment, and I don't think this is this to me doesn't add a ton. It's a little foreshadowing about Jon Snow's death. But anytime I can get Sir Alistair Thorne in a scene, because I, I, I'm not saying I love the character and root for him. He has some great moments in uh, season four, Watchers on the Wall. But it's just like anytime he's around, I think he's so good. I think he's so good. So here is the scene with him and uh, the captured, uh, the imprisoned Tormund. And this um, kind of inspires maybe Alice Thorne to take some action against Jon Snow because it's basically like, hey, you got no no power over us wildlings uh, because of Jon. So, but anyways, it's a great scene. <laughs> Putting food in your belly and a roof over your head. Probably something I wouldn't like very much. No, you wouldn't. You must no longer be in charge then. Boom! Oh, Alice Thorne didn't like that. Stomping off. Stomping off. Oh, ha, ha. I love that scene. It's a great scene. Get those two together. Just uh, the way they. 
chew up scenery so well. I love that there. So I put that in there. Those are some moments for me. What do you guys out there have? There's a lot more to choose from. It might be dream stuff. Again, trying to take out some of the big giant things. Lady Stoneheart. Yeah, that's great. Um, definitely want that. There's some other, there's some other things out there. Some big threats in the books that, you know, we might want to uh, see. Look, I, I'd love to see Tyrion, the young Griff, all that stuff sailing down the river, all the things, uh, definitely something I was interested in. And, and, I get it. You just, like George R. R. Martin said, that you could do this show, you could do 12 plus seasons of Game of Thrones, but that's going to kill everybody involved. So they had to make those important cuts. I'm good with most, most of those. But yeah, Game of Thrones, special editions. All done, that's a great call. And if, again, if you guys have a call out there, go to the Anchor app. You've got about 59 seconds. Get to it. Get to it. Be strong. Be bold. Be confident. Be like Jon Snow taking on the Night King. I uh, uh, yeah, do that. All right. All right. All right. It's been great getting back in the saddle with you all talking Game of Thrones. It's one of the many things I do. You can go to KenNapsack.com to find out everything I do. Talk Star Wars. We talk life. Afternoons with Josh and Ken. Got a baseball podcast feed coming in the spring. Getting ready for the baseball season. Look for that. And, of course, here, Cashly Talk. Believe me, we're still going strong. It's a countdown to the House of the Dragon. It's begun. We're going to start really looking at that. And looking back and all these little news things. And, you know, hey, maybe uh, anytime Peter Dinklage puts out a grumpy quote, I'll be behind it. That's it for this week. Follow me at Cadnapsock on Twitter if you want to, but you don't have to. Also got a Patreon page. We'll see you around, my friends. Bye-bye.